I have a confession. Um, I actually think New Year's Day is uh, probably the most overrated holiday to ever exist in the history of the world. And so I'm grateful for Tripp saying uh, what he did. I'm somebody that um, I like to sleep, right? So um, 10.30, I'm out. I get up at 5 a.m. And so, you know, we come home. My wife and I come back from a trip. And I'm tired, so she wants to go over to some friend's house. They're here, and I'm not going to call them out just yet, but I will get around to it. Um, so I go to sleep at like 8 o'clock, um, and she goes there, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to go. So I get up, um, and I get over to their house about 1045, and so it was weird there. You know, I'm there, and I'm like, all right, it's New Year. This is the first time that I've done this in the past like three or four years, I'm going to stay up. So I watch my clock and I watch my clock. Um, and it gets to 11.59 and Damon Sumner, he's right back there scratching his chin. Um, yeah, so I go to him and I say, Damon, uh, what are we going to do? And he's like, not nothing. I'm like, no, nah, we can't not do nothing. Right? I got up out of bed and I came here and he's like, no, we're just not going to do nothing. And it's like, and it really settled inside of my heart. <laughs> This is really just another day that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. I just felt the need just to share that and to get that off my chest. Um, so yeah, so glad to be with you all this morning. Let's pray um, and let's go right to God's word. Father, we come to you, uh, Lord, and we are grateful for a brand new year, Father, uh, we're grateful for each new day, Lord. Uh, God, I pray that uh, just in your providence as you've worked out the first day of the year to be on the day that we gather as a church to remember uh, the great lengths that you went through to bring us close to you, Father, that uh, we wouldn't take any day for granted. So be with us, Father. Remind us of the great privilege that we have to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so as I was saying, New Year's is probably one of the most overrated holidays to exist in the history of the world. But here's one thing that it does take. Here's one of the redeeming qualities that does um, take place. As the year goes on and on and on, we tend to take each day for granted. What takes place on this day, though, is it seems like that it's this one day where everybody gets up and everybody wants to take advantage of this one day. I don't know what it is about this day, but this is a day where as we like we're forced to reflect on our lives. And as we reflect on our lives or reflect on the past year and we think about all of the regrets that we have, we start off this day and our aim is I want to change the direction of my life. Right? There's certain things that I did last year. There's certain foods that I ate. There was a lot of time that I wasted last year that I don't want to do that this year. So everybody wakes up on this day intent on I want to change the direction of my life. And often that uh, uh, works itself out in resolutions. Oh, there's something about this day that just makes us think and feel there's work that has to be done. So much time was wasted last year, and I'm eager to change the direction of my life and work on my life. If 2016 was full of bad choices, I want this year to be full of better choices. And so we think of all the work that has to be done, from preparing meals to being at the gym to weight loss to friendships to taking advantage of family, and we spend so much time starting to think through what it is that we have to do, and I think that, especially for those of us here in this room, that doesn't just stop in the realm of things that we hope to get on the outside, but it really shows itself up in what we hope that God will do spiritually for community. So church, right, being involved in a Christian community finding ourselves in places of worship is a large part of that. And we think this is one other thing that I have to do. And I would say for all of y'all here, that is the right thing. And it is a good thing. This is, right, when we come and gather, especially on a day like this, this is a step in the right 
direction. But one thing that I want to caution us all on is this. Just because you take a step in the right direction, it doesn't mean that you're removed from all danger. It's easy to look back on what took place last year and think there's so many bad things that I did this year. I'm really going to change my direction and I'm going to be on the right path and think that the battle's won just because you chose the right path. But that's not the, the case at all. Danger does lie at the end of the wrong path, but danger lies all along the right path, especially when it comes to worship in the house of God. So as we talk about what this looks like, as we talk about this concept of worship, I really want to take some time and work through Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if y'all would turn there, and we're just going to talk about this, that in this year to come, your joy is not going to be contingent on how you work or the work that gets done. Your joy is really going to be contingent on how you worship and how your worship is directed. Who we worship is probably one of the most important decisions that we'll make in our lives, but it's not the only important decision that we'll make in our lives. How we worship is just as important and just as vital. Ecclesiastes 5, just to catch y'all up to where we are, Ecclesiastes 1.3 starts off the same way that you and I start off our year. You have this guy who's trying to find joy and fulfillment in life. And in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3, he starts off and he says, this, hey, what gain do I get from all of my work? Ecclesiastes 1 through 4 is really this guy trying to work out every New Year's resolution that we make. This year, I'm really going to learn more. And he says, ah, at the end of learn, uh, at, at the end of trying to learn, I just lament. This year, I'm really going to enjoy life more. And he finds that the more and more that he chased pleasure, the more empty that he was. This year, I'm really going to plan for the future and set things away. And what you'll find out is that the more and more that he planned to do that, the, the more and more depressed that he got. In the present, Ecclesiastes starts off with somebody trying to find joy based on how they work. Here's the beauty of what takes place in the book. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Yeah, it'll be up here on the screen. Hear, hear what he says at the end. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The book ends with worship, and that's where he finds resolution. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is the pivot point. So as he talks about getting people into a place where they worship, as, as you see somebody that is so discontent and full of regret with the creation that he turns his eyes to the creator, he spends his time instructing people on how it is that they worship. Read with me, and I've got three points that I hope will guide our time as a church. Ecclesiastes 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is, to better, than, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty, to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one that you must fear. 
when it comes to how we worship, the very first, first point that he makes is this. Watch your step. Watch your step. Verse 1 says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. A step in the right direction is not a step that completely removes you from danger. He starts off, and the very first thing that he does to people that find themselves on their way into the house of God is not to give them a warm pat on the back saying that you've done the right thing. The very first thing that he does is to say, you're headed in the right direction, but there's danger that lies on this path. There was this film that was produced a few years ago called Land of Minds, and it chronicled what took place on the shore of Denmark, the Nazis, in between 1940 to 45, laid two million landmines there. So what took place is that people that tried to flee, even though they were trying to head towards safety, the path was not clear. They had said that as they tried to clean things up, they didn't declare certain parts of that beach safe until 2012. 80 years later, it took them that long to find all of the landmines. That there were so many hidden dangers. And so the very first thing is he talks to a group of people that are on their way to worship God. He says the very first thing that you have to do is watch your step. That as we come in and approach that what we do from week to week is not something that we casually come into. I was in Israel a few months ago and what took place was like you walk up these steps and these steps are not like steps in your house, right? Where you can like skip a step and run up really hard or if you like trip or fall, you know, you can catch yourself. These steps are so big and so wide, and there's so much space in between them that it forces you to walk up slowly. It forces you to be reminded of how big this God is. It forces you to take your time. It forces you not to come in presumptuously. It forces you to remember that when we come in to do this, we don't come in to grade a performance from the state. We come in as a group of people that have come to worship a holy God. So the very first thing that we have to do is watch our steps. And he goes on and he gives us ways that, that we can watch ourselves. Helps us see what we're inclined to do. And he starts off and says this, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. You see time and time again how he talks about this concept of Words, words, words to draw near to listen is to better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. I think the point that he gets at is here that when we come in, the most important thing is that we come with a posture to listen to God and not to lecture God. It's easy for us to come in and to have all these things on our mind and on our hearts and to Come in ready to tell God all of the things that we need, all the hopes and dreams that we have, all of the things that we hope that he would do. But he says, as we come in to worship God, the most important thing that we can do is to come in with a posture of somebody that's ready to listen. To hear. God can hear you just fine from where he is. God has no problem hearing things that go on with you. We draw close, not so that God can hear us better, so that we can hear him better. Right? This is what takes place with kids. Last week, uh, my nephew uh, got his uh, Christmas gifts, and so he kind of comes in, and what, what you, you see with 
kids all, all the time is like when they want something, they yell and they scream for it. And if you have any distance in between them and you don't give them what they want, what do they do? They scream louder and come closer because they assume the reason why you didn't give me what I wanted is because you didn't hear me. So I need to come closer and make sure that you hear me. This is not what takes place with God. God hears you perfectly fine where he is. There's something unique. There's something special about what, what takes place here. At these times when we gather to come to worship God. This is why... From a church standpoint, we value just this time, right? There's something unique with this, with what takes place right here. What goes on right now is that everybody has come in. There's been times that we've talked to one another. There's been times that we've sung. There's been times that we've prayed. But there is a time where everybody is sitting. God's word is open. Everybody's mouth is closed. And your ears are attuned to what God is saying through his word. And you receive the benefit. You hear from the Lord. Our hearts are convicted and challenged. And do you know what we bring to the table? Nothing. It reminds us that this is what it is to be in relationship with God. It's us with nothing to offer, being blessed by hearing what God has to say. That when God speaks and we come in a posture to hear, what we are saying is, God, I want you to set the agenda. It's so easy for us, especially on a day like today, to wake up and to automatically think about the agendas that we want to set for our years. And our years are filled with so much good activity. But when we come to worship, when we start with the year, it's not enough for our time to be filled with good activity. What we need most is our time to be shaped by God's agenda. And the only way that takes place is if we draw near, not merely to ask God to do what we want him to do, but we draw near to listen. And the danger that can take place, what he goes on here, he says, for they do not know that they are doing evil. It's easy for us to come in. To know that there is a God that is in control, a God that is bigger than we are, a God that decrees the, the way things take place here in this world. And to think that the most important thing that we can do is come in and sacrifice, give God what we think that he wants so that God will give us what we want. And, and that's what he warns against here. We come into leverage something that we have. And it's referred to here as the sacrifice of fools. What does that mean? First Samuel 15, there's this story of King Saul. God comes in and God speaks very clearly to King Saul about what he wants from him to do. He was to go to war at this time and to take all the spoils of the land, and destroy it. Well, Saul goes in, takes the spoils of the land, and he doesn't destroy it like God told him, but instead, people keep some for themselves, and he says, I've got a better idea. I'm just going to give some of this to God, and I'm going to sacrifice this to God. And he comes, and he thinks that God's going to be pleased with these, this, this, this good stuff that he gives him. And Samuel comes and tells him in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, it'll be up here on the screen, and it says this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It's easy to come in and to think about all these things that we want God to to do in our lives and to draw near into a time like this and to think, all right, God, I really want you to do these things. So therefore, I'm going to give up this, this, this and this this year in hopes that you'll do this. The author says this is evil because at the end of the day, it's us ignoring the sacrifice that God himself had laid out. It's us ignoring the great lengths that God has already gone through to make a time like this possible. It's ignoring the fact that God has already spoken and set the agenda, and it's us trying to come up with a brand new one. And I want you to know this, ignorance doesn't equal innocence. It's not, I didn't know. It's not, I couldn't know. When it comes to offering something that God didn't ask for, it's not, I couldn't know. But it always comes down to, I didn't listen. I was too busy trying to get what I want that I didn't step back and sit and let you set the agenda. The beauty about this text right here, this piece right here, is that it's a caution as much as it is a comfort. That as we come and approach God in times like this to worship, we're cautioned not to come in with guns of... uh, blazing, telling God all the things that we're going to give to him. But it's a comfort in this. This God is inviting us to come in. God's saying, no, no, listen, listen, listen. No, come in. Don't be concerned with speaking first because God himself has something to say. God is inviting us. This God is approachable. This God is welcome. This God has something to say and he wants us to hear. And sometimes what gets in the way of us hearing is us talking. And so he's saying, no, no, quiet down. This is not God. This is not a God that's an introvert that just wants to sit in silence. This is not God saying, don't talk so that We can just both be quiet. This is God saying, no, no, as you come in, I want you to know that you don't have to carry the conversation. God has more than enough to say. And God speaks in tons of ways. God doesn't just give imperatives and commands. But God, God speaks and God gives us questions. Not because he needs any new information from us, but to surface the things that are in our hearts. To help us see where we are. God speaks words of comfort. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I was going to wait until later to talk about the good news of the gospel. This is the most important reason why we need to hear and it says this look long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the whole world and so he says there were times in the past where God spoke to a certain group of folks through many times and in many ways. But now in these last days, his first and foremost word, the word that he's spoken, he spoke through his son to all of us. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What that wants us, what what we should see in all of that 
is this. Last week, we talked through this concept of God being with us, this close relationship that we're invited to with God. And the only reason that we can be that close to him is because Jesus did this. The sacrifice that was needed to bring us to be close to God, Jesus did it. And not only did he do it, but it says now he's seated at the right hand of God, which means that he's done. He's finished. There's nothing else that you need to do to be brought into this close relationship with God. So everybody that would come in here insecure and feel like there's so much stuff that I regretted that I did in the past that now I've got to come here and I've got to make up for all of this lost time. The word that God is speaking, if you would stop talking and just listen, is it's finished. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work. For those that are anxious and feel cast off because of all of the things that you've messed up in the past. Do you know the word that God is trying to speak to you? It's finished. Which gives a great comfort in times like this because now we come into times like this and our main thought is not primarily on the obligation that's placed on our lives, although God does place one on our lives. But the main reason why we come in here to gather is to rejoice over what God has done. And to know that in so many areas of our life, wherever there's anxiety or frustration or worry, All of that is cured and calm by listening to the voice of the Lord, by listening to him speak. So to say that when we come in and say to watch your step, to be in a posture to hear and not just to heap up things to God, it's not just to quiet you down. It's to make folks jump up and respond in praise after they hear what it is that God has done for them. How you worship is important. And the very first thing that we need to do is to be reminded that Jesus has done all the work for us. It's finished. And watch your step. The biggest landmine that lies there is us trying to replace his sacrifice with our own. And any time that we try to do that, we cheapen the great lengths that God has gone through to bring us closer to him. You don't have to come with anything but hearts ready to rejoice in what God has done. God speaks, and that's such good news. I just want to say one more word on this before we move on. It's so easy, especially for those of us that have been Christian a long time, to look at times like this, the Sunday gathering where we corporately come together and worship our God, and to view it as something that's, that's optional, to view it as something that, ah, man, if I slept in or if I had a a rough night, then I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to catch the next one. And I do want to let you know, I do want to remind us all of the great lengths that God himself has gone through for us to be able to do this. This past November, people voted. And I remember saying, I don't know if I'm going to vote this year, it doesn't matter. And I remember people pulling me off to to the side, older saints saying, listen, there were a lot of people that did not have the privilege that you did. There were a lot of people that died and shed blood so that you could go to a ballot and vote. So they said, you're voting, though you may not want to. Do you know what it does? It honors the people that went before you and gave their lives so that you had this chance. It shows that you don't take that for granted. And I want you to know the privilege that we have 
to be able to hear from God and look at him face to face came at the cost of a great life. Sunday mornings are not just something that we do to check a box off of a list. Sunday mornings are a time where every week we are reminded of the great lengths that God has gone through that he's purchased for you and I not to feel this burden and anxiety for feeling like we have to offer God something that we know that he's only going to turn away because it's not good enough. Corporate worship is so much bigger than something that we can miss from week to week and just catch up on a podcast. Corporate worship is about honoring our God and listening to his agenda. I've gone too long on the first point. The very first point is watch your your step. There's so many landmines. The next point, it's not just that we need to watch our step, but it's that we need to weigh each word. We need to weigh each word. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better than that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? We find ourselves in a relationship with God, and what that means is that communication goes both ways. God speaks to us and we speak back to him. And as he talks about we come in with a posture to hear, the very next thing that he tells us is as we speak, as we prepare to use these words, as we make commitments to God based on the things that we heard, he tells us to weigh each word because the God of the Bible takes words seriously. Every word. God creates the world by his word. He speaks, and his words are his actions. And it shows us just how much value and stock God places on his words. And I want you to know that the God of the Bible places those same values on our words as well. For the sake of time, I'm just going to dive right in. Throughout the Bible, there aren't these, like, there's not a, like, list of vows that you have to take in order to become a Christian. There's not these list of vows that you have to take in order to be faithful to God. Vows at this time were optional. They were something that folks uh, 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 gave to the Lord to express their goodwill and to say, we want to make this commitment to you. But even though these vows were optional and they weren't mandated, they are binding. Optional doesn't mean that I can treat my words lightly, that I can treat my words like a tweet, where if I tweet and it really doesn't gain the the feedback that I hope that it would, that I could just press the delete button before anybody takes a screenshot and it's like I never ever said it. What's being said right here is, no, 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 no. God takes a screenshot of all of our words especially the words that are directed towards him. There's lots of applications that can be made here, but at the start of the year, there's two that that I really want to make and talk through. One is only going to go to a select group of folks uh, here, well, all of us that hope to be married one day, and then the next is going to go to the church at large. One of the vows that we take before God uh, is, is a vow of marriage. So for those of us that are in the room that are married, Um, This is a prime example of what takes place here. It's you and somebody else making a vow in front of the God of the universe. And you're saying, I'm going to do my best to love, to cherish, to be faithful, to honor them. And, And the point that's brought out here is that the longer that we delay, the more and more that we try to put off the keeping of these vows, the easier it is to break these vows. So at the start of the year, as we think about life and all the things that we want to do, for those in the room that are married, I want you to know 
that marriage is one of the unique ways that God displays his glory to the world. When we take that vow, we're saying, Lord, I want to carry the banner of displaying an accurate picture to the world. I want people to judge your goodness based on the way that I treat my spouse. I want you to know that's a big deal. And many vows of that sort to God are broken due to inattention. Due to the fact that the thought is, I'll take care of that one day. We'll improve our marriage one day. But I want you to know, if you don't plan, then you're just preparing to see that vow potentially crumble due to inattention. So husbands, if you're here in this room, I pray that the start of this year, I pray that this text would remind you of the weight that God has placed on you to lead your family. That you would think very seriously about the vow that you made to present your wife holy and blameless to the Lord, and that would dictate the way that you set your priorities for this year. Wives, I pray that you would take the vow that you made seriously and that that would dictate the way that you treat your husband and care for your kids. Marriage, that's just for a few, but here's one that I want to make to the church at large. That if you're a Christian here in this room, what you've said to God is that, Lord, in exchange for the price that you paid for my life, I want to give you my life. I want you to take the reins. I want you to direct it as you would. And let me be very, very clear. God has been very, very clear. The way that he has decided to use your life if, you're in a, uh, uh, or if you are a Christian is God has already made the decision to use your life in the context of a committed relationship with other Christians in a church. A vow for God to take your life and to use your life as he will is very much a vow to God's people. This is why throughout the rest of this year, throughout the years that we've been here as a church, we constantly talk about the importance of what it means to be a part of a church. And what it means to be a part of a church is that I no longer think about life in terms of first-person singular pronouns. I don't think about life just in terms of I or me. But now I'm brought into a family and I'm forced to think about life in terms of we. If you're here and you're a part of this church, I want you to know that you have made a commitment to 169 other people to walk with them, to prepare them to meet Jesus. You know, as he talks about vows here, he goes here and says, no, listen, you can't use, ah, well, I... I think it was a, a mistake as an out. God doesn't judge us on the basis of good intentions. He judges us on the basis of our integrity. Listen, while marriage is a binding commitment that the Bible gives very clear ways about how folks get in or get Get, uh, get out. I want you to know that from a church standpoint, it's not the same. So don't feel as if, and I do just want to share this. There's, there, there's been a few folks that I've talked through in the course of the past months. Um, you know, I, I do want to share this. If you find yourself at a place where due to stage of life, proximity, obligations that you have, elsewhere or things like that, that it is increasingly hard for you to fulfill the commitment that you've made here, I want you to know we want to help you find a church where you can do those things at. It's, 
it's okay. We want to put you in a place where you fulfill the, the commitments that you've made to the Lord. So don't feel any type of way of saying, hey, I started, but I don't know if I can continue. Is there a better place? What we want you to know is yes. Our job as pastors is we want to lead you to value your word as much as God values that word. We want you to know that an honest no is better than a dishonest yes. No's tend to remind us of the limitations that we have, and they point us to plea to, to God for help. But if you are a part of the church and you are here and you do have the ability to fulfill that commitment, I want to challenge you, especially this month. As Trip said, there are four weeks where we're gathering as a church together to pray. J.C. Ryle says this, that he, uh, the person who loves me best loves me best in his prayers. One of the best ways that you can love somebody, even those that you don't have a personal commitment to, those that you don't see on a routine basis, one of the best ways that you can fulfill the obligation that you as a Christian have to other Christians is to routinely pray for them. Imagine what would really take place in the life of a church if we had a group of folks here that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that have been reminded of how seriously God takes his word. That when the word God spoke about the standard that he has and the punishment for that standard, when the word that God spoke about the wages of sin being death, when God saw his creation as the object of that death, God didn't step away and betray his word. God stayed true to his word. But he sent his son and Jesus inconvenienced himself. He gave of his life. And God stayed true to his word and punished sin completely but at great cost to himself. That's how much God values his word, integrity. And when those of us have been purchased by that blood and we see ourselves as recipients of God's great grace, we have an amazing chance to be able to inconvenience ourselves in the same way and to be reminded that God wants to use us to keep his word of faithfulness, to keep his word of love and care and concern to people that we find ourselves in the same church with. I say all of this to say, listen, as we go, as, 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 as we've gone through this text, the overwhelming contrast that has been made here is God speaks. God speaks clearly. He invites us to hear. He's not after us trying to get us to give up sacrifices in order to be close to him. He's already made the extreme sacrifice so that we can be close to him. We don't have to give up things. God is interested in blessing his people. God is not trying to barter with you. But one thing that I hope that you'll see here is that we don't have anything that God needs. God has all that he needs. God's not after us trying to trade something with you. If you feel like you have to barter with God to gain his blessing, I want you to know that you've missed it. God's words here is that he has great blessings in store for us. If we'll just step back and hear verse 7, it says this. When dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. That word fear is not for us to be afraid of. It really doesn't mean that we're scared of. That word fear is just 
reverence. It try, the, the point of all this is this. It just talks about, you know, uh, if your mind is running a mile a minute about so many cares and concerns, that what he's saying here is, you know, in the same way that that may lead to like dreams at night, right? You dream about things because there's so much stuff on your mind. What he's saying is that, you know, ample words, all of these commitments and words and promises and things that we make to God, thinking that that's what's going to get us peace. He's saying that's vanity. What we need more than offering God words is to watch our step, to weigh each word that we give him, but ultimately to wait on God. And this is what we want to do this month as a church. Worshiping God often looks like waiting on this God. Because we step back from setting the agenda on on our own lives, and we let him speak in his timing, and he sets the agenda. And what that looks like is it's hard work because it takes patience. And God often doesn't speak on our time frame. God often doesn't speak how we want him to speak as we try to fit him nicely and neatly into all the things that we've planned on doing. So what we want to do as a church this month is we really want to wait on God and we want to wait on God together. And like Tripp said, what, what that looks like is that We want to wait on God through fasting and praying. January is a month that's filled with so much activity and work and people trying to do all sorts of things to get them closer to God. And what we want to do this month is both individually and corporately, we want to wait on God and hear him speak. And so what that'll look like is this. Fasting, as it's talked about in the Bible, is not saying, God, I'm not going to eat until you give me what, you, what I want. Fasting is saying, Lord, I'm going to stay away from food or something that provides me nourishment, not so that I can go on strike until I get what I want, but so that I can remove distractions or things in my life So that I can hear more clearly what it is that you want from me. Normatively in the Bible, it's in terms of food. And so here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to ask you to fast uh, from food for a whole month. Uh, I do think that as we think about the concept of fasting more broadly, I think it's acceptable and permissible to avail ourselves of certain luxuries at a time in order to replace the time that we would do those things with to really seek and to hear from God. And so if you're at a place where you've been frustrated or you're tired with trying to set the agenda for your own life, then a good thing for this month may be to take the month and to say, hey, there's something that I'm going to give up this month, not because I think if I give it up, God will give me what I want, but there's something that I spend so much time on that this month I'd really like to replace the time that I spent with that to really try to seek God and to hear from him, to read his word and to let him speak. Corporately, however, one of the things that we are going to ask for all of us to do as a church or Wednesday nights for this month for those of us that are a part of this church um, and for those of us that are not a part of the church but would just love to be, be, uh, to be a part, as we seek to hear from God, Wednesdays will be a great time for us to fast from food. And so what we're going to do is we're going to lay out things that we as a church are going to seek God for. The uh, neighborhood that we're in that's starting to change the work that we hope that God will do in surrounding communities, the provision that we need from God, the 
unity that we need as a church. There's so many things that we want to pray to God for. And one of the beauties of a church is that for those of us that are Christian, the Spirit of God dwells inside of us all, which means that God speaks to you all in the same way that he speaks to, to, uh, to us. What an advantage that we would have to spend a month all praying, seeking God about the same thing and coming together on Wednesday night to continue to pray and to talk about what we hear from the Lord. So that's the way that we want to wait on the Lord. We don't want to set our own agendas this year. We really want to step back and ask for God to set the agendas for us. There's plenty of time in the rest of the year to create resolutions of what it is that we hope to do. So we ask that this month you would join us in corporately seeking the face of God. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are grateful that you are a God that speaks. Uh, We're thankful that you're a God that's uh, not shy, Lord. Uh, You don't hide your will or intentions from us. Uh, You speak in such a way where you invite us to come in here, Father. And so I pray um, that as we spend this month as a church, just uh, fasting and praying, God, that you would speak clearly to us, that we would have the comfort to know that we're not only headed in the right direction, but we're headed about the tasks that you give us in the right way. So, Father, uh, please be with us, Lord. I pray that as we continue to draw near throughout the course of this year, that we would draw near to listen. We wouldn't be premature um, in our speech, but we would be intent to hear from you. And as you speak, I pray that you would give us the grace to obey. It's in Jesus' name.